Well, happy Easter, Christ Chapel. And wonderful to worship with you on this Easter weekend. I know that you have a lot of different traditions to check off uh, your list of Easter traditions, and I'm so thankful that you chose to make worship a part of those traditions as well, because I know there are some traditions that you're more excited about than others, but I thank you for making this a part of them. I, I totally get that and totally understand. Because there are some Easter traditions that I get up for and some that I'm not so uh, excited about. If I can just be honest and personal with you, it's the Easter Bunny. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I think there's something fishy about him, you know? I mean, a, a stuffed animal should make children happy, not terrify children to death. And so I, I just have a hard time buying into that and getting up for it. Now I'm totally fine with Easter egg hunts and everything. Our boys have done that for years. That's great. We do know that bunnies do not lay eggs, right? Again, this guy is a fishy character, which gives me, a, it gives me a pause. It's hard to get into or believe in those things that we're, not, that we're skeptical of. It's hard for us to celebrate those things that we just don't necessarily buy into. And maybe some of you feel that way this Easter weekend. You're at a, a worship service, obviously, but you have a hard time buying into it. You have a hard time getting up for it because you're a little skeptical about all the claims that we make, all the things that we celebrate. Well, you would probably be surprised to know that you have more in common with the disciples in the New Testament than you thought because actually that first Easter was not celebratory at all. It was filled with far more skepticism than you would ever think. See, this past year, our church has been studying through uh, the book of Acts, and we'll uh, continue that after Easter weekend. But uh, the, uh, the book of Acts begins with the, the, the risen Savior, the resurrected uh, Jesus. It picks up where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John left off with the life of Jesus. Now Jesus has risen from the dead, and it answers the so what question. So what now? And you would think that the book of Acts would begin with a big party, Jesus is alive, but it actually begins in a much more somber tone because the disciples are scared. The disciples are skeptical. And Jesus meets them right where they are. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us that Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering. How? By many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus' resurrection is definitely something to be celebrated, but it's hard to celebrate something that you're skeptical of. And that's why Jesus meets the disciples right where they are in the midst of their skepticism and is patient and is kind and is loving to not just say, I'm alive, believe it and move on, but instead to give them 40 days to prove himself to the disciples as alive over and over so that they could be convinced and therefore confident in what he told them and celebrate 
every Easter thereafter. So what we're going to do on this Easter weekend is I want to show you some of the proofs that he gave to those disciples that they could not escape. And then I want to tell you how that will affect our lives, how it affected theirs and how it can change your life today. And I'll ask you some questions uh, at the end. So I want to pick up on some of the proofs that he gave the disciples. And if you like fill in the blanks, we've given you a handout before you walked in. Uh, That will give you something to do, especially if I'm boring you in any way. Uh, Go ahead and just fill in those blanks as we go along. And I'm seeing some head nods there. So great. Glad the fill in the blanks work. But the first thing I want to show you is that Jesus gave evidential proof of his resurrection. He gave evidential proof of his resurrection. This word proof that is in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 is the only place this word is used in the New Testament. And it actually means uh, demonstrable proof, something that can be demonstrated, something that can be seen or looked at, evidence even beyond eyewitnesses. And so I want to walk you through what some of that evidential proof was that he gave to his disciples. And the first one is this. Jesus provided physical proof with his presence and his interactions. He provided physical proof with his presence and his interactions. Remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, it said that he spent 40 days with them. 40 days where he he patiently spent time with them, where he conversed with them, where he ate with them, where he drank with them, he shared meals with them. We know that he even invited Thomas to touch him. We know that from the Gospels. But we also, I would imagine, he allowed other people to touch him. They wanted to to hug him, to embrace him. His physical presence proved that he was alive. And then he also provided circumstantial proof with his absence from the tomb. This circumstantial proof, we know that the tomb was empty. And there were other theories, conspiracy theorists of the day saying, well, maybe the disciples took the body, but please don't miss what was going on at that time. That at that time, that tomb was sealed shut and it was guarded by Roman guards, 16 of them who if they failed in their responsibilities to guard the tomb were under the same threat of death as the person who died. They had every reason to not let something happen to the body, yet Jesus walked out of that tomb. And then he also provided eyewitness proof with his many appearances. We have 10 post-resurrection appearances recorded in scripture. One of those was to 500 people at the same time. So it couldn't have been a mass hallucination. And I think that's comforting. If we've, this has never happened except for Lazarus before. And to, to be able to look at everybody and say, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I think that that's really helpful in those times. See, Jesus proved that he was alive through this eyewitness proof. He gave evidential proof of his resurrection. But it wasn't just the evidential proof that he gave. He gave personal proof. Jesus gave personal proof by changing people's lives. Jesus interacted with his disciples and he began to change his disciples from the inside out. These disciples who wanted to distance themselves from Jesus end up dying for Jesus. What changed? How does that happen? Well, he began to change them. Three ways. Jesus changed his disciples' eternal destiny. 
He changed their eternal destiny. In John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus tells the disciples and Mary and Martha also, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me shall live even though he dies. He changed their destiny. Death would not be the end of them. And if we knew that death was not the end, then it would change the confidence we have to follow him today. And that's what began to change about those disciples because Jesus changed his disciples' priorities. If everything that they saw no longer was it, if there was something else to come, if there was something after, then they began to live differently. In fact, the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three says, everything that you see, everything that I used to chase is all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. It changed his priorities of how he was living his life. It changed what he put first, what he gave his best to. And then finally, the disciple, Jesus changed the disciples' way of life. The disciples began to live in community with one another after the, the threat of death had scattered them. Now they come together and they begin to live in a very countercultural way where they care for each other, where it says that they had everything in common. They begin to forgive one another, to love one another, to treat one another as Jesus treated them, which is countercultural not only then, but even today. See, Jesus gave this personal proof by beginning to change the disciples from the inside out. But remember, the disciples, they would have had friends. They would have had family that provided personal proof to them of Jesus is alive. He's changing my life. And you're sitting around many people whose lives have been changed by our risen Savior. Their priorities have been changed their eternal destiny has been changed. The way that they care for other people has changed. You see, the proof is not in the pudding. The proof is in the pew. The proof is right here all around you where people are saying, Jesus changed me in ways I could not change myself. Which tells me that this Easter, Jesus has given sufficient proof to change your life as well. Jesus has given sufficient proof to change your life. Maybe on this Easter you say, Cody, I'm looking for undeniable proof. Uh, and I'm not looking for sufficient, I'm looking for undeniable proof like, like the disciples got, like all the things you just told me about. Well, I want to remind you of one of the things that Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 when he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, even if somebody came back from the dead, you would not believe, which is what happened here. And that tells me that sometimes what keeps us from trusting Jesus is not proof, but it's power. And we want the power in our own lives to, to direct and, and live our lives however we want to. But what I want to tell you is you might have that power now, but you do not have the power to save yourself for eternity. Only Jesus has that power. And until you place your trust in him, you won't experience that life-changing power that can change your eternal destiny and begin to change your life today. See, you might be looking for a watertight argument. And what God says he's given you is a watertight person. 
someone that even the people who crucified him could not find fault. He's the only one powerful enough to let you into heaven, to give you eternal life. And so the question this Easter is this, will you trust him to save you? Will you trust him to save you? Some of you might be saying, I didn't know that I needed saving. All of us do. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are holy. Not one of us. And God is holy. And the only way that you can spend eternity with him, in eternal bliss, in eternal peace, with eternal love, is through a relationship with his son, the watertight person in whom there is no fault, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, and then rose from the dead to prove that his payment on the cross was a sufficient payment to a holy God. And he shows us that he paves the way to eternal life. And when he comes back in glory to them, it shows us that we will come alive again in Christ. You see, you do need to be saved from paying the penalty for your sins for eternity. But you can only get that salvation by placing your trust in him. So will you trust him to save you this Easter? Maybe you've already made that decision. Then here's my question for you. And honestly, the question that I've been asking myself this Easter is, will you trust him to change you? Will you trust him to change you? See, the resurrection changed the disciples. Absolutely changed them from the inside out. And what Paul tells us multiple times throughout the New Testament is that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you and me. That is powerful enough to change us. And I know you don't like to be changed. But here's what you need to hear about God's change in our life. However he wants to change you is how he wants to bless you. However he wants to change you is however he wants to bless you. Because his ways are always best. His ways lead to life. Our ways, there's a, there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end it leads to death and destruction. His ways and his ways alone lead to, to life, abundant life and eternal life. And so will you trust him to change you? To change you for your good and for his glory. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that looks like a relationship where you need to humble yourself. Maybe that looks like a, a hurt that needs to be forgiven. Maybe that looks like an addiction that you need to be freed from. I don't know what that looks like for you this Easter, but the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which is what we celebrate this entire weekend, is the same spirit that lives in you and me for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. So will you allow him to change you? You might be skeptical that either of those things can happen. Could he, he can't save me, nor can he change me. He, if you are in that spot, then here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you take a journey with us for 21 days? For 21 days, we have created a four minute a day scripture reading. We'll read it to you. A four minute scripture reading a day throughout the rest of April. 
that you would commit to, I will walk through the Scriptures with Jesus these 21 days for four minutes a day. Because if you will, here's what we are praying for as a staff. I believe Jesus will come alongside you. Don't forget in Luke chapter 24, there are these two guys on the road to Emmaus who they're talking about Jesus and they said, we hoped that he was the Savior. We hoped he was the Messiah, but he was crucified. Now he's dead. And guess who comes alongside of him? Jesus. Jesus meets them right where they are, in the middle of their skepticism, in the middle of their doubt. And he begins to speak to them and begins to share with them and begins to open their minds and open their hearts. And then they realize he is alive and it changes their lives, changes their perspective. It changes our lives when Jesus comes alongside of us. And Jesus can enter into whatever situation you're in and prove himself real and true to you. I, I asked our staff earlier on a few weeks ago, I, I asked them to write down on these three by five cards, I asked them to write down, how has Jesus proved himself to you? And the overwhelming response on these cards is that Jesus met me at my time of need. Jesus came at a time of tragedy, in the midst of death, in the midst of divorce. He came in the midst of darkness, in the midst of depression and drug addiction. He came when I was asking questions and he gave me answers. He answered prayers that I've been praying for years and he proved himself real and true because he met me where I am. And you say, well, Cody, that's, of course he did because they're staff. Well, this was before they were staff. And guess what? Just because we're staff doesn't mean that we're perfect. And in fact, I think that proves the resurrection power of Jesus because we aren't perfect. We're just normal sinners who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ who has met the risen Savior and it's changed our lives. He can do the same for you. If you'll begin to ask those questions and ask him to enter into your life, if you'll ask him to save you, if you'll ask him to change you, because he is real, he is alive, and he is here, and that is worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for saving us when first we didn't even know that we needed saving. When we knew that we couldn't save ourselves. Lord, I thank you that you also change us in ways that bless us, bless those around us, and ultimately gives you glory. Lord, thank you for proving yourself to us over and over by showing us that you are alive, you are real. You are risen. You are worthy to be praised. And it's in our risen Savior's name we pray. Amen.